0: I can tell you, we'll have 170,000 property owners, and we actually had a study done of why people were protesting, um, and 74% of the people that protested were protesting the amount of taxes they paid, not necessarily their appraised value.
1: You are listening to the Urban Connect podcast. My name is Jennifer O'Shambeau, and I am the broker-owner of Urban Provision Realtors, The mission of this podcast is to bring clarity and ease to the often complicated and uncharted waters of buying and selling real estate. If you are a buyer, seller, or a homeowner and want to enhance your awareness of market and transactional realities, you are in the right place. This is why I'm thrilled to introduce today's guest, Maria Kragler. Maria serves as the Chief Appraiser of the Travis Central Appraisal District, or TCAD, A graduate of the University of Texas, Austin, Kregler has more than 30 years of experience with TCAD and has held a variety of positions in the agency, including appraiser, modeler, director of IT, ARB coordinator, and deputy chief of operations. She was appointed chief appraiser in December of 2011. Kregler is a member of the Texas Association of Appraisal Districts, International Association of Assessing Officers and Texas Association of Assessing Officers, and she has served on the Comptroller's Property Value Study Advisory Committee. I asked Marianne to be a guest on Urban Connect today. Her multi-layered and quite extensive experience could afford our listeners to gain the deepest understanding on the topic of property taxes. Maria, I'm honored to host you as a guest, and welcome to Urban Connect. Thank you for having me. So I'm excited to talk about this topic because it's complex, as you know. I mean, you've been in the business for a while, industry for a while. You hear from homeowners all the time about yeah. it. So um, I'm going to go ahead and get started. I have lots of questions for you. So we, can, you know, of course, we'll converse back and forth. But I think I want to start very high level. And you know, regarding property taxes, what role does TCAD or even any of the appraisal districts across Texas play and you know what are what are county appraisal districts responsible for and then what parts of property taxes
0: are county appraisal districts not involved in or responsible for? So the appraisal districts are our only responsibility is to to appraise the property determine the market value of the property in the total property tax equation you've got the value of the property, you've got the tax rates and the value times tax rates equals the levy um, and the levy is basically the budget of the taxing entities. We only do the appraisal part of that equation. The other side of that equation, setting the budget, setting the tax rates, that's all done by the various taxing entities that can tax a property. And those are your school districts, your county, your city, you may be in an emergency service district. All of those have taxing authority and can levy ad valorem property taxes. Um, And so they all set their own budgets. They set their own tax rates. And we have nothing to do with that budget setting or the tax rate setting side. Our primary focus is only on the appraising of property um, and making sure that we've got an appropriate appraised value. And the reason why appraisal districts were created, um, and it goes back to 1979 when the Pivotal bill was passed. Prior to that, each city, each school district, each county had their own individual appraisal that they would do on a property. So one property owner that's taxed by four different taxing entities could have four different appraised values that came from each of the different entities. Um, And they could be vastly different. And the rules were set up by each of the entities. And so the legislature in 79 with the Pibito bill set it up so that they said there should only be one value. There should be a true value on the property, one value that represents market value. And there should be an independent body that is not influenced by either the taxing entities or the taxpayers that sets the value based on the rules that we give them. And that's when appraisal districts were created. Um, And so the purpose of appraisal districts are really only to appraise property to determine the fair market value of that. So that whatever the tax burden that is established by the taxing entities gets fairly distributed amongst all of the property owners in proportion to the value of their properties. So that a mobile homeowner isn't paying the same as somebody that owns a mansion, but that it's fairly distributed based on the relative value of their properties. And that's the primary purpose of appraisal districts.
1: So you kind of went into kind of my next question a little bit, which is great, is you know, who decides that role? And you mentioned the legislator is one who set up that role. And, and you know, from what I've read and what I understand, you know, the constitution also says what needs to happen. It, it's embedded. Essentially, it sounds like you're doing the job you were tasked to do by basically our state officials to say appraise properties at what we call market value.
0: Yeah, our, our, our rules that we operate under are all developed through the legislature and codified in the Texas Property Tax Code. So the Texas Property Tax Code is, gives us all of the guidelines on how we are to do our work. What is the definition of market value is defined by the tax code. Um, and that all goes back to constitutional authority. Again, you'll see a lot of times you'll see uh, issues that come up, referendums that will come up, that will require constitutional um, amendments to be passed. We just did one last May to increase the amount of the homestead exemption for school districts, increased from $25,000 to $40,000. Well, that required a constitutional amendment that the voters had to vote to approve on, but that was all initiated by the legislature. I think a lot of consumers, whether it be
1: buyers, sellers, homeowners, it doesn't really matter, don't really understand it's that you or your staff aren't really making up or defining what value means.
0: You're going by almost like a handbook to say, this is what, where our guidance is. And, and the system is is incredibly complicated and has just gotten more complicated as the years go by. There are multiple terms that property owners have to understand, and they are not always the same. Sometimes they are used interchangeably by people outside of appraisal districts, but they do not mean the same thing and they all have different laws behind them and how they are calculated. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. That's a good point because it's just like in real estate
0: and, you know,
1: outside of real estate terms can be a little bit different. So you mentioned, we talked about market value, like, and, and for me, you know, having a lending background before coming into real estate, you know, I understand how appraisers determine value and I'm, assuming that you are determining value in a, roughly the same way that they're doing for mortgage lending. You're just doing it with, with different data subsets. Is that correct? Like how are, what data is coming into play? How are you getting that value? What sources is it coming from?
0: So um, when you think about lending and uh, what the appraisals do, the appraisers do in a lending case, They are doing an individual single appraisal on one property and they will develop it. It may take them anywhere from you know a day to a week to do that appraisal. Um and they charge usually I I think the going rate now is about five hundred dollars. Yeah, it could be more for 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 a residential property, about five hundred dollars. My price point, the money that I get to do my appraisal is I get fifty dollars, less than fifty dollars a parcel um, to do my appraisal. So we can't do the intensive fee appraisal, we've got to do it on a mass model, and there are certain standards that are set up when you're doing mass appraisal that we follow, but it really is very much a lot of statistical model. We look at things in groups, Um, so we're not doing an individual appraisal of a single house the way that you would see in a normal fee appraisal. What we do is we gather um, what we think are the relative important characteristics of a property. Um, Is it a single family residential or is it a duplex? Is it one story? Is it two story? How many square feet does it have? Um, What is the building type? Is it a brick exterior or or wood exterior? Um, And all those kind of components that add or contribute to value, we get those components. um, We calculate a replacement cost new for that plus the value of the land. And then we look at statistical models of properties that have sold. How do those values compare to what our statistical model has created for the value of the property? And if there's a difference between those, then we trend our statistical models so that we're more matching what the market is saying those properties have sold for. And when we trend, we trend all properties the same. So sold and unsold properties all get trended the same to be reflective of what the market value is in that particular area. Okay. So, it, so it's
1: so it's and. It, it i say this and i struggle to say this it's it's like you have someone and we'll get to protesting later but you have someone coming in and they're going you valued my property x but my neighbor down the street sold for you know y it's i mean it, it, what i just heard is that's relevant but not relevant because it's not just what the neighbor down the street sold for there's more that comes into play than just that one sale
0: yeah when it comes time to to doing a protest, I mean, we we have to value on a mass mm-hmm. model because I get four months to do four hundred thousand parcels with less than fifty dollars to do it. I can't do fee appraisals on all of those um, with the budget that I'm getting. I'm not getting five hundred dollars uh, to do each one. So I've got we've got to do a mass model and we do a, a, a mass model where we treat all properties the same. Now, there are in, there are individual um, characteristics that will make a difference in how we appraise it. If your house is larger, then your appraised value is going to be larger because our model will compensate for that size of your property. But we are using a, a mass model to do our appraisals. Um, we get pretty darn accurate with our, our, our appraisal models. We're pretty good, but we're not going to be exactly on the nose with what your, your neighbor sold for. Um, we're going to be within a range of what they sold for our threshold is very narrow. The state only gives us a 5% margin of error. So, you know, we we are really close to what the market value is going to be on all properties. Um, But there may be some differences. There may be some characteristics about your property that we didn't know. Um, You know, you may have some condition issues that may affect what your property would sell for, but it's something that we did not know, so we didn't take it into consideration when we were doing our model. And that's something that you bring up during your protest is to let us know those differences. but, you know, if your, if your neighbor's home is an exact model match for your home, under our models, you guys are going to come out with the exact same market value when your model matches. But rarely are properties model matches. There's usually somebody will have a pool and somebody won't have a pool. You know, somebody will have remodeled in the last 10 years and somebody else may not have. So it's rare, very rare that we'll see exact model matches.
1: So my next question for you is, I, I say this with a big smile on my face because, um, you know, and this is coming from my knowledge, and I say it with a smile, is like, why, why do chief appraisers and the staff at, at a the appraisal district, why are they trying to get property values to market? We talked about this a little bit. And wouldn't job be so much easier if you would just keep values low? I mean, I laugh at that because I mean, that's what you hear every single day, I'm sure.
0: Oh, you know, we we hear it a lot and there's always a lot of talk about, you know, if if chief appraisers were elected, what would they do? And, you know, what, what, what would your platform be? I'm going to lower your values. But really, the Constitution requires us to be at market value and the state studies us to make sure that we are at market value. That we are, again, they give us a 5% margin of error, and they test us every other year. Are you at market value? Um, And they'll test our value level every other year. And then the years that they're not testing our value level, they come in and they test our procedures and make sure that we're following all the procedures and the standard laws and everything that we need to do. So we get tested every year by the state to make sure that we are following the tax code, the laws, and that we are appraising properties at 100% of market value.
1: Yeah, so that's why you know you're doing things right, because you know you're gonna get audited, right?
0: If you're, if you're not. I, 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 I tease my staff and I say, you know, if nobody's happy with us, we're probably doing pretty good. If the taxing entities aren't happy and the taxpayers aren't, aren't happy, we're probably doing a pretty good job, because our goal is always to be at market value in and in, in, in how we do our work, um, that's always a goal. And it's tough for us as appraisers to, to do that work that we've got. Again, we've got very limited budget, very limited staff, and Texas is one of the very few states that doesn't have full sales disclosure. So we've got limited data, and the data that we get is very difficult uh, and very expensive for us to acquire. So my meager budget has to, a big part of that is spent trying to acquire data so that I can do the job that I'm required to do by the state, and that the state is going to test me to make sure I'm doing. And you know, for the residents of Travis County, that you know, I, I know our values have gone up. They've gone up substantially the last couple of years. And what taxpayers may not realize is, for the last two years, I've had failing grades from the property value study, saying I'm too low. So you know, as painful as it is for them to, to get the notice of appraised value, please understand we are just doing the job that we're required to do by law and that we're getting tested on it. We're getting told in some cases that we're not going far enough.
1: Well, and I think that, I mean, I feel like we're going to see an ebb and flow of that moving forward because of, you know, market. Let's talk about school funding because, you know, you know, and I know our school funding is through property taxes. Um, Some states like California and Florida have it through sales tax and, You know, I now really understand why that may not be the best source of school funding. Um, I don't think it's a fair share of, you know, someone who lives, uh, lives paycheck to paycheck is spending all their money and then, you know, really funding that school funding versus someone who lives... It makes more money, doesn't spend all their money, isn't, isn't spending a lot of money. So, you know, now knowing that aspect of it, you know, I, I definitely understand that school property taxes are probably a better way to, to fund it, but let's talk about what would happen if we didn't raise our property taxes to, to market values. And, you know, we all, we all know cost of living, we need to pay our teachers, Talk about schools. Can you talk about like some of your reports on schools? What would happen?
0: So when when we don't pass our property value study, the state gives us two years um, to correct and raise our values to meet the level that they think we should meet uh, with. And we've been fortunate that we have never gone beyond the two years. We've always gotten our values. If they say we're low one year, we work really hard to make sure that we're at market value and that we pass our property value study the next year. But if we were to not pass our property value study and we were to let that go for multiple years and be out of compliance, then the harm is not necessarily to the appraisal district. Um, The harm is to the school districts because what the state does is they use the property value study to determine how much funding each school district gets from the state. So there's a portion of your, your uh, school district budget that comes from local property taxes, and then there's a portion that comes from state taxes um, and, and the state funds. And if we weren't at our 100% of market value and the state found us to be not in compliance, then our school districts would not get the amount of state funding that they would be entitled to. They would get less money from the state, meaning they would have budget shortfalls. And in Travis County, that is even more painful because we are considered to be a very property wealthy um, county. Most of my school districts are what they call recapture school districts. And when we talk about recapture school districts, the state does a property value study of every school district. If you're found to be a wealthy school district, then they'll require you to give a portion of your local property taxes to the state to be redistributed to other school districts throughout the state. So in Travis County, um, we've got a lot of recapture school district. In fact, most of my school districts are recapture. And in terms of the state overall state recapture, this is how property wealthy we are considered. Almost a third of all recapture dollars come out of Travis County. Most of it out of Austin ISD. So we pay a lot into recapture. Well, if we were to fail the property value study, not only would our school district still have to pay into recapture, but they would get even less back from the state. So it would be a double whammy for our recapture school districts if we were to fail the property value study in terms of decimating their budgets. And, you know, I'm like any mother, you know, come after me all you want, but you come after my kids, and that's a whole different story.
1: Okay, let's move to estimated values, protesting, property tax statements. You know, there's a cycle, as you know, we talked about earlier, you talked about earlier about four months. You have four months to assess properties, you know, small window. When does that kind of start? When does that end? When should homeowners start seeing that estimated valuation statement each year? And then when, you know, when do you start compiling that data?
0: So we start um, our, our preparing our 2023 appraisal role. We start that late winter of 2022, And we start that by going out and doing our property inspections. Uh, We're going out and we're measuring properties. We're checking the condition of the properties. But our assessment date is January 1st of each year. So we're appraising properties as of their state on January 1st. So if you are a a new home under construction and you're only 50% complete on January 1st, then you will only be taxed as 50% complete um, because assessment date is January 1st. So we have from January 1st until we send our notices of appraised value, April 15th to do our valuations. Again, notices of appraised value are the notices to the property owners that say this is what we have determined the appraised value of your property is. And we will give you in your notice of appraised value, we'll give you both your market value and we will give you a net appraised value, which is a limitation value if you have a homestead exemption. And that all happens in April. So, the market value goes out in the notice of appraised value in April. Taxpayers can review that, and they have until May 15th to determine whether or not they want to protest the market value determination made by the appraisal district. After May 15th, we start doing our hearings, um, the meetings, both informal and formal. And then by July 20th, we have to certify overall values, meaning we have to complete all of those protests and have those values finalized and certified to the taxing entities so that they can start doing their budget process and calculating their tax rates, which they do in August, September. And then finally, in October, bills are calculated. They go out and they get mailed out to property owners.
1: It's a a very long, detailed cycle, it sounds like. Okay. Yeah, yeah, lots of lots of steps. In
0: now it. through
1: the protesting portion of it, as we know, uh, you know, more people are probably protesting. Values have gone up in recent years, right? There's this big unknown of why, and um, big unknown of like we talked about earlier, like how you uh, model or how you compare properties. But when someone is deciding to protest, whether they come in themselves or I mean. If they, if they're using a third-party company, they just hand it over and the third-party company takes it over. But if they're deciding to do it all on their own, um, what information is helpful versus what information is, I hate to say the word irrelevant, but I mean, what information is not going to help you get your, your property uh, tax or value lowered? Because I, would ha- I hate for the consumer to
0: walk in the door and then realize they didn't do an accurate job. Well, I will say for our property owners, one of the big things for them to pay attention to, particularly given how much our, our, our market has appreciated, um, you know, post-pandemic we had, I can't even call it a boom, it was a, a supersonic blast um, of where market values went, where properties were selling for. Um, and so values went up quite a bit post-pandemic, but property owners that had a homestead have that benefit of that homestead limitation. And they get a net appraised value that is last year's net appraised plus 10%. So right now, most homeowners have a huge differential between their market value and what their net appraised value is. So you can come in and protest market value, and maybe you get a reduction in market value, but it will have no impact on the amount of taxes that you pay because you didn't get below that net appraised. I mean, there's, there's almost a 50% differential in many cases between what your market value is and what your net appraised is. So if you can't get below that net appraised, you are not impacting the amount of taxes that you will pay because it's the net appraised minus any exemptions is the taxable value that you get taxed on. So the first thing that we want to make, make sure that property owners look at is look at your market value and then look at your net appraised and determine whether or not it's worth your effort to come in and and file a protest because in many cases it will not make a difference um, if you come in and protest. But if you feel that you need to protest, I mean, we welcome everybody to come in and protest. A lot of times property owners only file their protests because they want to see the data that we've got. And a lot of the, you know, the sales data that we get is confidential. We can't release it until we get a protest. So, you know, that protest is a trigger for us to be able to release all that data to the property owner. So, you know, file your protest. Ask for the evidence packet you get to see the data that we use to do your appraisal, um, and that may give you some level of comfort once you get that information as well. Um, But when you come in to protest, I I would urge property owners, um, it cannot be about I can't afford the taxes because appraisal districts, all we do is we appraise the property. Your ability to afford the taxes and what your ultimate tax bill is really a function of the budgets that are being set by the taxing entities and the tax rates that they set to fill those budgets. So our appraised values, as appraised values go up, the tax rate should come down so that we have a net neutral effect on the overall tax burden. It is only when appraised values go up and those tax rates don't come down as they should that you will see an increase in your taxes and the amount of taxes that you have to pay. I kind of say it's kind of like a reset button. You know, if appraised values go up, The tax rate gets calculated down. It's called a no new revenue rate right now because that's what it means. It means they're not getting any new revenue rate. That no new revenue rate is your starting point and if they adopt any tax rate above that no new revenue rate, that's going to increase your taxes. So we are, again, the appraisal district is not supposed to be influencing how much ultimately you pay in taxes. It's only trying to distribute that tax burden fairly amongst all taxpayers.
1: And you and you say that, and I saw on in just example, my tax rate went down. You know, and my homestead, you know, only allowed ten percent to go up, but the tax rate went down. So yes, I had a slight increase, but the tax rate went down. So I'm paying a little bit less than I would have last year at the same at the higher rate. So you're you're correct.
0: Yeah, and in 2019, the legislature really um, made a lot of significant changes to how tax rates are calculated. It used to be that prior to that, um, the taxing entities could increase that tax revenue levy by 8%, and that if voters disagreed with that, they would have to petition to get it put on a ballot, and then they could vote on whether or not they wanted to go above 8% or not. In 2019, that changed substantially so that the threshold was lowered The taxing entities can go up 3.5% now. And if they go above that 3.5%, it automatically triggers an election in November where taxpayers can get out and vote on whether or not they want to approve a tax rate that is higher or brings in more than 3.5% of of overall levy. Um, And so that's a a fundamental change to the way the process works. Um, But I will say it's really important for taxpayers. To participate and get out and vote; those votes matter. Um, and so, if you really don't want that tax rate to go up that much, you need to get out and you need to make your voice heard by voting either for or against. Right, it. exactly. Because if you don't, then it's it's hard to say something, you know, against something that you haven't voted for. I, I can tell you, we'll have 170,000 property owners, and we actually had a study done of why people were protesting, um, and 74% of the people that protested. We're protesting the amount of taxes they paid, not necessarily their appraised value. But 174,000 of them will show up at my office. You may see 12 show up at a budget hearing or 12 may show up at a tax rate hearing. They do not participate in the other side of the equation that I would argue is probably, if not as important, maybe even more important to the total tax burden that they're yeah, going to definitely pay. It's more, it's more important.
1: and And I can see an argument for you know, as things cost more, as people need to get paid more, those budgets are going to have to go up. And, you know, effectively, our tax rates could go up, like you say, in the future as a result. So let's dial back to, I'm going to call it our anomaly, our market, our pandemic market, we had these shortages, we, but let's even go back further, like, 2011 to 16, you know, that market, I thought it was crazy. People were paying 30 to 50,000 above list price. And it's like, please don't do this and don't sell in a couple of years because you might not be able to sell. Right. And we thought that was crazy. And we didn't really realize into what we were getting into in in 2020 and 2022 with people paying, you know, 50% above list price or, or 30% above list price. It was crazy. But as a result... Market. the market has swung upward. So tax property tax valuations have swung upward because our market has changed, right? So talk to me about what happens in situations like this where that was due to inventory shortages and now we're starting to see, you know, some decreases in values, you know, 10, 15, 20% decreases. The home's not selling as high as they were before, and I saw this back in 06, where we had an upward and downward you know, trend for property taxes. But will homeowners start to see in the next year or two that downward cycle? Or how long does it really take because of your big model for, for people to see that trend?
0: So we're going to analyze the data every year. We're going to look at our market data to see what are properties selling for, and where we may need to go, um, and how we may need to trend our values, um, either up or down. And we're going to follow the market. The work that we do at the appraisal district is always retrospective. We're not predicting what's going to happen in the future. We're looking at what has already happened, and then making a determination for January 1st, based on that historical data of what property values may need to be. What we're seeing, you know, just over the, the span of this last year, um, we are seeing some changes in the market. We are seeing that things are taking many more days to sell. They're not saying, you know, selling the same day that they get listed, um, but now I think the average is, is about a month, um, days listed, and we are seeing more of a normalization in terms of sales prices. Now, we still had quite a bit of an upward swing in the early part of 2022, and now it's swinging back down. Again, our assessment dates year year over year is January 1st to January 1st, making that comparison. um, We're seeing that it's going to be, you know, probably for many people, a flat market. For some people, it may be a down market. There may be some isolated pockets where the market's still pretty good, um, and they may see a slight increase. But overall, we're not seeing dramatic uh, swings um, in in the market values. Um, We don't anticipate that there would be a huge swing. Um, based on the data that we've seen in terms of sales, you know, the average sales price is still up year over year. But again, we're still analyzing that fourth quarter data. And we still want to look and see a little bit of that first quarter of 2023 to see if there's any real trends that we can can see and model after, but yeah, yeah. If the market goes up, we're gonna follow it up. If the market goes down, we will follow it down. Our values after the great recession, 2008, 2009, it hit us a little bit later um, than it did the rest of the nation, but our values went down in 2011. And I anticipate we may see some areas where the values may go down this year in 2023. The problem that we have for property owners that have a homestead exemption is that they had a great benefit of that homestead exemption last year and that their net appraised value may be $300,000, but the market value was $600,000. Next year, their net appraised value may go up to 330 because it's limited. It can only go up 10%. Your market value may come down to $500,000, But you're still going to see an increase in your taxable value because that net appraised calculation is still ticking up until you catch up with your market value. So even though we may drop market values, a lot of homesteaded property owners aren't going to see a decrease in their net appraised value because their net appraised value is not going to be less than uh, or more than their market value.
1: They'll see the biggest shift, whether it be investor
0: or second home or whatever. Exactly. And and that calculation of net appraised, that limitation calculation, that's a state mandated calculation. I have to do it every year. I don't have a choice. I've got to do that calculation every year. So I can't just decide not to recalculate net appraised. That's going to be an automatic thing that the state requires us to do.
1: Okay, so let's talk about exemptions. I know there's a plethora of exemptions. There's disabled, there's some military exemptions, there's some over 65 exemptions, but I just want to focus on Homestead for a minute because um, most of our homeowners who are listening who bought before a recent change I'm about to speak about, remember they could not They could not uh, file for their homestead exemption until the next calendar year. They had to be an owner on 1231. Then they had the first four months of the year to file their homestead exemption. That's the old way of doing business. Now it seems like a possession change. Um, The homestead drops and then the new owner has to reapply for homestead. Talk to me about that change. Why did that happen? What must happen for the homeowner to be able to
0: now apply for their homestead? Okay, so that was new legislation um, in the 2021 session, and it really was targeting to give homestead exemption benefits to first-time homeowners, new buyers, allowing them to start claiming their exemption as early as possible. The way the law works is that If you acquire a property during the course of a year, you can apply for your homestead exemption early under certain conditions, and those conditions are, one, that the property does not already have a homestead exemption claimed on it, meaning the previous owner was not claiming the exemption for the year on that property, and two, that you as the new purchaser are not claiming an exemption on any other property. So those are two big conditions that have to be met, which is why primarily we only see first-time home buyers being able to qualify it. Usually if you're buying an existing home, the previous owner has already claimed the exemption, um, or if you're moving and you're transitioning up or down, you've already claimed an exemption on the property that you previously owned, um, and so you can't claim to. But if those two conditions are met, you can claim the exemption early. Now that eligibility of that exemption that you are claiming early is prorated based on the date that you acquire the property. So if you purchase it in June, then you get 50% of the homestead exemption. Um, And again, it's based on the date that you acquire and start occupying the property. I will say for property owners that can't claim the exemption early, if you're buying an existing home and the previous owner already was claiming the exemption and you can't claim yours early, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Because if the previous owner is claiming the exemption, you get to inherit the benefit of that exemption for the remainder of the year. Meaning you get 100% of the exemption amount for the full year, plus you get the benefit of any homestead limitation that they may have had for the remainder of the year. And sometimes that can be a huge tax benefit to be able to carry on that limitation for the rest of the year. You as a new owner would qualify for the exemption on January 1st of the next year. And that would set the base year for your homestead limitation because homestead limitation resets with each new owner and it resets the first January 1st that you own a property. So if you purchase a property in June, your homestead limitation doesn't actually kick in your first January 1st set your base value, and then you see the benefit of that 10% calculation the following year. So there is a delay in the benefit of that limitation. So it sounds like there's no mad dash
1: for, let's say, someone's buying a resale property, a property, like you said, owner-occupied, they're buying it from somebody else. There's no mad rush to go get your driver's license changed, to be able to file your homestead exemption, because you're still going to maintain that exemption for the remainder of the year. Um, you you would just wanna make sure that
0: you, you get it filed up the first of the year. I will say the only exception to that is if you're purchasing a house from somebody that is over 65 and they have an over 65 exemption, they can transfer that exemption to a new property. So that is the only exemption that might get pulled out from underneath you as the new buyer. The general homestead exemption would stay But they can transfer their over 65 exemption and that tax ceiling to a new property mid-year. And so I would always say for for buyers that are buying a property where the, um, the previous owner is over 65, make sure that you get that clarified at closing whether or not they intend to port or transfer their over 65 exemption or whether or not they're going to leave that benefit in place for you for the remainder of the year, because you may want to do some additional calculations for escrow and closing to recalculate the amount of taxes owed if they decide that they want to remove that exemption.
1: That is one of the biggest issues that comes up in real estate uh, over 65 that's been ported that didn't get ported or wasn't told that was going to get ported. And um, uh, it, it, a lot of people get sidelined from it. You know, I mentioned driver's license um, early because I know that was a change. I think it was in two thousand nine. In order for you to file a homestead exemption, you needed to make sure your your driver's license matched your primary residence. And if correct me if I'm wrong, but your driver's license needs to stay the driver's license address of your home for your homestead for you to get that homestead benefit for the entire duration you own the home. Correct?
0: yes, if if you um, are applying for a homestead, um, you have to submit with your application a copy of your driver's license. And it can be a, a Texas driver's license or a Texas ID. It cannot be a um, a driver's license from another state. It can't be a concealed carry, It can't be a passport. It has to be a driver's license or a Texas state ID. And you need to submit a copy of that with your application for your homestead exemption. And the address on that license has to match the address of the property that you're claiming your exemption on. We cannot approve the application if we don't have the driver's license or if that address does not match.
1: I want listeners to understand: if you are saying you live there, your driver's license should match, because even after you sell, it can come back and haunt you, and you could be, you should, you would be liable to pay those those property taxes
0: to the buyer at a higher rate because you were not a homeowner or with an exemption. And that's one of the the, the audits and the tests that we have from the state, is is they go through and they will pull samples of our applications um, and verify that we are appropriately granting or denying exemptions and that we are doing our due diligence to audit and make sure that only people that are entitled to the exemption are receiving that exemption. And it's an issue of fairness. We don't want people that are not um, living in the home claiming an exemption or claiming multiple exemptions. It's not fair to everybody else. Um, You know, that tax burden that they're not paying gets passed on to everybody else because they're cheating the system. So we want to make sure that we're doing our best to, to be as fair and accurate as possible.
1: So let's talk about the training that your staff goes through I believe they go through some pretty rigorous training to do the job that you're tasking them to do and you're doing. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. For our appraisers, we are licensed by the state through the Texas department of licensing and regulation. And there is a five-year process. It takes five years to go through and get your registered professional appraiser license. Um, As soon as they start working for us, they've got to be registered with the state and they've got to start taking courses that are approved by the state. Um, And so we go through all of the training courses. They have major exams that they have to pass. So they've got to pass a level three halfway through, and then they've got to pass a comprehensive level four examination before they can get their license um, through the Texas Department of, of Licensing. So yeah, it's a pretty rigorous training program for our appraisers.
1: I will say that that's more rigorous than to get your real estate license, which is really scary. I mean, you know, for you to, to, to appraise a property and me to be out there helping people buy the property, your, your standard is more rigorous than mine, which is frightening, but it is what it is. But I just wanted to make sure that our consumer knows that the appraisers who are doing their job, um, have an abundance of training. Okay. We talked, we we've talked about some legislative changes throughout the, this conversation, are there any legislative changes that are on the horizon that
0: you're tracking or consumers should be aware of? You know, there, um, a, a property tax relief was a very big topic, um, both during the campaigns and when the legislature just opened up. Lots of discussion about what kind of property tax relief. Um, evidently, we've got a pretty significant surplus, um, and it's about how are they going to spend that money? Um, how much will they direct a property tax relief? Um, The lieutenant governor came out and said that, you know, he would propose increasing the homestead exemption from its current $40,000 to $70,000. There's been quite a a few other bills related to the exemption amount that we would be tracking very closely that taxpayers will need to pay close attention to. Again, those kind of bills will come up if if there's anything that's passed. will come up in the November election for taxpayers to vote to approve. Whether or not to increase the exemption amount. Um, there's been talk about also changing the limitation amount. You know, it's currently set at 10%. Um, there's some bills that would lower that um, as low as, as 5% to 2.5%. Some of them would extend it to apply to all property types and not just homesteads. So those are all the kind of bills that we see right now that we're tracking at the legislature that may impact um, residential homeowners. I will say, be 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 engaged, you know, if there's something specific that you want to see or don't want to see, uh, talk to your legislators, talk to your representatives, and, and, and let them know, express your opinion. You would be surprised how much power one voice can have if it is exercised.
1: That is true. I mean, I feel like if you the people that don't get out to vote usually uh, scream and and stomp their feet the loudest and then then it's the next election whether it be you know midterm or not they get out and vote and and really pay attention i didn't see the swarms of people voting for you know homestead increase which you would think that you know going from 25 to 40,000 every homeowner should have been out there to vote and that wasn't the case so is there um, anything that you want to add that we haven't discussed that maybe the, you know, the common consumer, whether they're here in the Austin area or across the state, would uh, want to know about
0: property taxes? I will say for, for, for exemptions, the usual general deadline is April 30th, but property owners have the ability to file a late application up to two years late. So it, I, I would say it's it's not too late. If you forgot, you missed it, you didn't know about it, and you're just now discovering that you may be qualified for an exemption, you can still file that application two years late. We will go back and apply that exemption for the prior years. And then if there's any if the taxes have been paid and there's any refund due, that refund will be automatically processed by the tax office. So we want everybody that is entitled to an exemption to claim their exemption particularly if you are over 65 or disabled, that tax ceiling is a tremendous benefit to you as a a taxpayer. So um, if you're over 65 or disabled, we want you to claim that exemption. You know, the exemption amount is only $10,000, but that tax ceiling, I mean, that's, you know, school bill is 50% of your tax bill. If you can freeze that, that is a tremendous benefit to homeowners that are over 65 um, or disabled. The other thing that I would say is uh, uh, I I would encourage taxpayers to be engaged. Um, Don't just come to the appraisal district if you're upset about the amount of taxes that you're paying. Participate in those budget hearings. We now have a website. Um, If you go to Texas.gov slash property taxes, you can go to a website that in August will start showing you when are the budget hearings and when are the tax rate hearings for all of your taxing entities and you can from that website give them feedback about what you want to see them do and i always use a a a you me we analogy you know i think if, if you're paying the bill for the wedding reception then i think everybody should drink champagne if i'm paying the bill everybody's going to drink water but maybe we collectively can say you know what iced tea is a good compromise You need to let your elected officials know what services do you want, because services cost money, and then what services are you willing to do without, or are you willing to have them cut back so that they've got a place where they can start saving some money, but they need that feedback from the taxpayers. Right, and and
1: if they don't get it, they're just going to do whatever they need to or want to at that point, that that
0: they think. You know, people that want things, yeah, people that want things are very vocal about telling our representatives and our local leaders all the things that they want. Um, you know, nobody really goes up and says, you know, maybe we could close the library an hour early and save some money or something like that. Um, I'm not saying I'm not making that as a suggestion. It's just an example. Mm-hmm. But but we need to tell them what, what are we willing to do without because, again, they are hearing all these demands and they're trying to meet all these demands that we we're asking for. But, you know, in order to do that, it all costs money and we've got to figure out which demands are priorities and which demands are not, and they need our feedback to be able to determine that.
1: Well, Maria, thanks again for your insights and your time today to help Texans better understand the property tax landscape. Your information has been truly insightful. Oh, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. So before I wrap, I wanted to give you a little sneak peek on the next episode where I I converse with Mark Sprake, an economist and real estate and financial development analyst with Independence Title. Mark and I had a lively discussion what causes the market to ebb and flow, why market shifts happen, what Texans should pay attention to to identify possible market shifts, and why today's recession was very different than the recession that occurred in the early 80s. Thank you to everyone at home or on the go for listening. If you find this show helpful, please hit that follow or subscribe button. It does wonders for the show and allows more people to find Urban Connect organically. If you have questions about anything we've talked about, please drop me a line at Jennifer at Urban Connect Podcast. I read every email I get, whether it's an episode idea or a guest recommendation, or just a simple note. i love to hear from you. I'm Jennifer Oshombo, and I will see you on the next episode.